Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Welcome back to another episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin, and it is good to have you here with us today. Hope you're feeling good. Hope life is treating you well. Hopefully you're getting booked and paid to speak. Hopefully you're traveling the world, speaking, sharing your message, sharing your inspiration, motivation. Hopefully you're not living in a van down by the river. You know, all that good stuff. Hey, really glad you're here. This is a brand new show. We are just kicking things off. We are in first week or so of the Speaker Lab podcast, just getting rolling. All types of goodness you're going to want to check out over at thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Really excited about this new show, excited about this new year and teaching training, helping inspire you as you start, build, grow your speaking business, your empire, whether you're brand new, whether you're just getting started, whether you've been doing this for a little while, whether you're looking to do a couple free things here and there, maybe you're wanting to do 50 or 100 paid things every year, you want to be a full-time speaker. This is the show for you, my friend. So glad you are here and excited to go on this journey. If you have no idea who I am, or you're interested at all, and if you're not, you're not going to hurt my feelings, but you can go back and check out episode one. I'm going to give you my story, how I got into speaking, how I built my speaking career. We've earned over $1.5 million in speaking fees over the past seven, eight years or so as a speaker, and so I had a little bit of success with that, and now I'm excited to help you with your own speaking journey. So throughout the course of the Speaker Lab podcast, we're going to be doing a variety of different things. One of the key things we're going to be doing is interviewing people that are speakers already, that are veterans, that have been doing this for a little bit, people that are in the speaking industry to hear what has been working for them, how they've built their business. And so today we are joined by my speaker friend, Clay Haybear. Clay is a great dude, great speaker. He does a lot of speaking in the corporate world. You know, he's a speaker. All right, we'll leave it at that. I'm going to let him tell a little bit more about who he speaks to, what he talks about. And so I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I'm just kind of hearing this case study about how he's built his business, how he's found speaking engagements, how he has grown his speaking business. And then... One of the things, since this is one of the first interviews that we're doing for the new show, one of the things that I'm excited about is we're going to be sharing with you some worst case scenario stories. So I've already done a, quite a few different interviews that we've already got queued up for the show that are going to be coming at you in the next coming weeks and months. But one of the things that I ask each of our guests is tell me about a time when as a speaker, it just did not go well. Tell me about a time you bombed. Tell me about a time when it went really bad, went totally off the rails. Tell me a story where it couldn't be worse than this. So you're going to hear Clay's story, which is a doozy. So you're going to enjoy that today. So let's get right into it, my friends. Oh, quickly, let me remind you of this. We are in the midst of this podcast contest right now. As we launch this new show, the Speaker Lab Podcast, we are doing a giveaway, a couple of giveaways that you're going to want to check out. You're going to want to be a part of. It's totally free to be a part and to register for the contest, but you're going to want to stop by 
podcastcontest.com. Again, that is podcastcontest.com. Check that out. I think you're really going to like that. You're really going to dig that. Basically, we're asking you to do a couple things. One, subscribe to the podcast. Two, leave us a rating and review within iTunes. Both of those things really, really help us out. And so by doing so, we'll enter your name into a drawing and do a little giveaway and give you some goodness. All right. So let's get right into it. Here's my interview with my buddy, Clay Bear. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. I'm joined by my good buddy, Clay Bear, who is a speaker, entrepreneur, all around good dude, really excited to share his story, journey, all of his tips and tricks and wisdom on the speaking game. So Clay, what's up, buddy? How are you today? How are you doing, Grant? Thrilled to be here. It is an honor to hang out with you, my friend. We got connected, I think, a couple months ago or so. And, you know, there's just some people you meet and you're just like, I just like this dude. I just get this dude. And we're cut from the same cloth. So it's been fun to hang out with you. So first of all, give us kind of an overview of your, like, how does speaking fit into your business? Who do you speak to? What do you talk about? Kind of give us that snapshot. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of have two groups that I speak to. One is, and this is something I learned in my speaking journey throughout my career, is who pays for talks? And there are primarily two entities or two groups of people that pay for talks, sort of three, but it's corporations. So big companies like IBM and Pfizer and Accenture, we can talk about that. I spent 10 years doing corporate consulting at Accenture. And that's when I first started speaking more of as an employee kind of representing the brand. So number one is corporations. Number two is associations. A lot of associations, most people have never heard of, but there's an association for everything, right? The American Dental Association and things like that. And then what you've managed to do really well is, you know, speak a lot. In addition to those, a lot of colleges and universities and high schools and things like that. So one is knowing who pays for speaking gigs. And for myself, I sort of split time between corporations and associations. I haven't done a lot of the colleges and universities and high school stuff like you have, but then also these entrepreneurial conferences and they tend not to pay a whole lot. So when I was sort of cutting my teeth and coming up things like blog world and things like that, I was doing it more for the at bats, more for the practice, practicing my talks and things like that. One of the many mistakes I've made in my speaking career coming up was thinking that those were very close to being paid speaking gigs. And so things like even like a South by Southwest or things like that, they're good to do for exposure. They're good to do for practice. They're good to do to connect with people, to spread your message, to get at bats, to practice and really to try new material and things like that. But they're not close to paid speaking gigs. Paid speaking gigs are, I think one of the first ones I did was the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association. And so it was in the middle which, of nowhere. Which everybody's familiar with. <laughs> of course, of course. Don't we all know the DPHA? And it was in the middle of nowhere. and Not middle of nowhere, but it was like out in Fort Collins, Colorado at this big resort that I'd never been to. And huge conference. You know, they bring in all their dealers and everything else. And that's when the light switch really went on for me to go from being someone who gives free talks to being someone who gives paid talks is, and one, one little simple litmus test that I sometimes still remind myself of is, and is not meant to be, you know, in any way crass or rude, but the likelihood that I'm going to want to stay and hang out and participate with the attendees. Like if it's a conference that I would really want to attend, more than likely it's not a conference that's going to pay me to give my talk, right? The American Dental Association, the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, or even, you know, a bunch of executives at Pfizer right. is very different than Blog World or South by Southwest. So I think one of the biggest learnings I made was really figuring out who pays for speaking gigs and then who doesn't. 
And the ones that don't, it's totally fine. I mean, most aspiring speakers that I meet don't have enough at-bats. They don't have enough unpaid talks under their belt, right? We sit down and we watch football on Sunday and we watch these guys take each other's heads off and we don't say, you know what, I think I could do that and then strap on a helmet and walk onto the field. But sometimes we see speakers and paid speakers that have been doing it for 10 years and we think, you know what, we could do that and just walk out there. But in fact, you need the practice, you need the at-bats and the free talks and things like that. You said a couple different things there that were interesting to me. So let's talk about that very first paid booking that you did. So you, the decorative hardware or whatever that was, <laughs> yes. how, like, how did they even find you? They found me through a friend, actually. They'd reached out to a friend of mine and they said, we need some speakers on these topics. And one of them was marketing. And the friend reached out to me and said, you know, hey, we're, I'm going to be speaking at this conference in Colorado. Do you want to speak as well? Do you remember what you were paid? I think it was 7500 I believe. And yeah, that was, your, that was like your first paid Legit that was my gig. first paid legit gig. And to be fair, it was two talks like on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So it was the same talk back to back. Sorry, not back to back, day, day after day. So same talk on Tuesday, same talk on Wednesday. Turned out because of a mistake I made and very much some things I did wrong, it was not exactly the same talk. I uh, tweaked it quite a bit Tuesday evening to give a different talk or, or a better talk on Wednesday. Gotcha. All right. Okay, so you've got a buddy that introduced you to them. So who was this, like, who was the friend? I'm trying to just go ahead, kind of go back in the chain here. Yeah, for sure. How did they get the booking or how did they get familiar with it? Yeah, so the friend is uh, Al Pitampali, great speaker, great guy. Check him out. He wrote a book called Read This Before Our Next Meeting. And then he's got a brand new book coming out in January called Persuadable. And Grant, I will send you a copy. It's amazing. It's all about being persuadable and being willing to change your mind, which I think Lots of us in our world are, but I think lots of people in, in maybe a more traditional world are a little more set in their ways. So really great book. Yeah, Al Pinapali, and they reached out to him. I'm trying to think. I think they did want to track on sort of meetings, and he was the meetings guy because he wrote a book on meetings. And so, yeah, it was actually, as you talk about and as you know, you know, writing books and being known for one particular topic is a great way to get gigs if people pay and book speaking gigs for that topic. So instead of taking whatever it is you talk about and you think you're good at, you need to align that with, is this something people hire speakers to talk about? And sometimes you just need to tweak the positioning or tweak the phrasing a little bit, right? But they needed a talk on doing better meetings at their big annual conference. And so they grabbed Al and then they said, hey, we need somebody on marketing as well. And I think they, for this particular price level, they weren't looking at a Seth Godin or any, anyone at that level. But yeah, it was the right price and a lot cheaper than them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I found that to be true as well, that I've got a lot of booking gigs over the years just from referrals from friends mm -hmm. or from peers or from colleagues and people that the client, like in this situation, they're, hey, I'm looking for someone that talks about this. Do you know anyone? Or like, you know, I can't do it. And so therefore I'm going to refer someone else or I did it this year. So I'm not going to do it next year or my fee is, is too much or too little for what they need. And so tell me about that. Let's talk about that for a second. Like how much have you found just building relationships with other speakers has been beneficial to your career? Yeah, definitely. I think building relationships with other speakers has been tremendous. And like you and I both spoke recently at, at Webinar Ninja Live here in San Diego and I loved meeting everyone. It was, you know, relatively intimate conference and but getting a chance to finally meet you in the flesh instead of just over email and things like that and then you know getting in san diego so i get to hang with you know john and kate a little more frequently but getting to spend more time with all those other folks you know john corcoran was another guy who we've emailed a lot and we've talked a lot but never really met in person so getting to know them and connect with them i will say 
that alone hasn't resulted in a ton of gigs. It sounds like you probably have more referrals from other speakers than I do, but the concept is completely true where if somebody, you know, doesn't want to do a gig a second year in a row and to the extent that the event organizer reaches out to the speakers for referrals to other speakers, it's of course wonderful to be top of mind and to be known as the guy who speaks about X or the woman who speaks about Y. Gotcha. So whenever you were getting started, you said you worked a little bit with Accenture. Were you doing mostly just corporations in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and those were not sort of paid gigs as a speaker, but it was the first time I was up in front of hundreds of people with a big slide deck behind me. It was at these industry conferences. So I remember one time, it's funny because like Ben Carson is running for president and the name, I knew the name because probably 12 or 15 years ago, Accenture brought him in to speak to a bunch of executives. So we had our big annual conference and he was the keynote speaker at the time because I was in the healthcare industry at Accenture. And here was this guy who, you know, neurosurgeon who'd separated brains and all this stuff. And he was the keynote speaker. So when he popped back on the radar, sort of the last few years, I actually, a long time ago after that talk, I'd ordered his book and read and found out about him. But yeah, when I was at Accenture, it was more us teaching our clients or our vendors or things like that. I was the only one with slides that had one big image on it and, you know, no words and things like that. So I was already the weird guy with not the 10 point font and going draining the slide bullet by bullet. But I discovered Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow in 2003. And then that sort of sent me down a rabbit hole and I discovered Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds and Slideology by Nancy Duarte. And I figured out a different way to build slides. And pretty soon, I mean, that alone helped me get more sort of speaking opportunities when I was with Accenture because they were like, oh, that, you know, that claim makes pretty good slides. And so then when we would do these industry trade shows and conferences, out of the five people they could have chosen from Accenture to, to give the talk, I usually got it because of the slide design. And so you're an employee of Accenture just doing presentations on their behalf. At the yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't, exactly. I wasn't getting paid any more than my regular salary. Right. It was okay. just, but it was a good way to get the at-bats and kind of cut my teeth. No, totally. So I was going to ask, so, okay, before you did the, whatever, the fancy hardware conference mm-hmm. that you did in Colorado, how many talks would you say you would have given before the paid one? I would say probably a hundred, I think. Yeah. Between all the conferences, between free events, which I did a lot of also just even tiny venues, co-working spaces, startups, things like that. I would always be one to hop up or to raise my hand because I actually enjoy it because I really like you, I'm a teacher and I love teaching. You know, I was never been a formal teacher, but I love sort of communicating what I know. And if that means speaking to five people or 50 or 500, I would always do that. But yeah, if you count small venues, co-working spaces, things like that, uh, probably 100 unpaid gigs. So you do those 100 free ones before you even get a paid one. How do you feel like those first 100 impacted your first paid one? Yeah, a lot of it was mostly mistakes. And I don't mean mistakes in the mechanical delivery. That certainly was bad in the beginning and got better over time, just like anything, just like entrepreneurship or anything else. You know, you can read all the books in the world, but you have to combine the knowledge and the reading with actually practicing it. And that's why I think you see the best programs, the best online programs, best everything else combine the content and the learning with the sort of now go forth and do it and then come back and keep going. So yeah, I really made a lot of mistakes. One of the biggest ones was customizing my talk. It's kind of like the a different version of the 80-20 rule. I would think that the best way to impress the event organizer and get paid was 
to customize my talk 80%. So I would sort of show up and say, what's the theme of the conference and how can I tweak my talk to get paid more? And what I didn't think about is people like Seth Godin, people like Gary Vee, people like Simon Sinek who get paid a lot for the talk, they're getting paid to be themselves online. So there's sort of like three or four tiers of speaking. I was in the lowest tier of, I'm not getting paid to speak. I'm going to this big venue called Blog World. Yeah, there's 200 people in the audience, but I was too willing to offer basically 80% customization. You know, I tell some of the same stories, but I thought, oh, they want the customized talk. What they really want is the best talk. And the best talk, as you know well, is the one you've given 20 times or 25 times. Right. And so, or hundreds. Or hundreds, exactly. Yeah. And so I literally, for a couple of years, was giving pretty much a custom talk at each conference and not getting paid because of I was giving the same custom talk. So it wasn't like, oh, Clay's the social. I gave a great talk on social media ROI, but I never gave it again or I gave it at NYU. So that never became a paid talk because it didn't bubble up to the point of, oh, Clay's the social media ROI guy. And so being known for the person who speaks about a particular thing, developing your one signature talk, and then practicing your signature talk over and over and over and over. I would, yeah, I mean, the advice I would give to people is don't make the mistake I did and say, what does the event organizer want? I would say, go deep, develop a talk that you know people pay for, and then practice giving it so often. Like practicing at home is necessary, but sometimes difficult. But to me, practicing at startup accelerators and incubators and conferences like blog world and social media marketing world and things like that. That's the best practice because you have a real live audience. You can see how jokes land. You can gauge the reaction. You can do Q and a. So yeah, don't, don't make my mistake and customize your talk every time, like develop one to three sort of signature talks and then really go deep on those. Yeah. And I would totally echo that, that I think a good analogy is like looking at comedians. You know, there's times where comedians are trying out new material and they're figuring out what jokes work and what doesn't work. But a lot of times whenever you're watching like the DVD or the polished one hour special or whatever it is, or you see them do a live show, like they're not working out material. They know that material works. And so I think that's I know I found the same thing to be true is that whenever I get up and speak, they're not looking for me to get up and just like test them. Like they want the best stuff. They want the stuff that they know works. And so stories that I've told or points that I've made or whatever it may be, like I know that stuff works. Now to speak to the customization stuff, and I, I, you're mm-hmm. probably similar here, Clay, you, like you can still do some customs. Like we're talking like five to 10% though, all of a sudden feels like a huge, huge difference. Like, wow, this was totally for me by mentioning the theme or talking about the context as it relates to that particular audience. And the audience of decorative hardware store owners is different (laughs) than the audience of dentists. But you can talk about social media or whatever the topic may be or marketing to that audience and just tweak like a few little things. And all of a sudden it feels very, very custom to them. But the bulk of it should be stuff that you know works. And a lot of what you know works and doesn't work comes from just doing it, getting in front of a live audience, like you said, whether it be some local event or some little conference where you're just presenting a workshop and there's 20 people in the room and that's it. That's great. That's an opportunity for you just to try it and see how it goes. Yeah. I think your comedian analogy is absolutely perfect. I mean, there are times when you're at a random little comedy club next to the airport and Chris Rock takes the stage or Jerry Seinfeld takes the stage that you're hundred percent right. That's where they test out their new material. And I would say to aspiring existing speakers who want to take their game to the next level, don't say no to the free gigs and say, no, I'm a paid speaker now. I don't take free gigs. Use that to try your new talk. Use that to do what Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock do. You're right. They don't walk out on stage to film their special in Madison Square Garden and try a bunch of new material. They know whether it works and they've got it memorized. 
And then the 80-20, as far as the customization, you know, like I said, my mistake was customizing 80% and you reusing 20%. I would say reuse, like you said, you know, 80 to 90%, customize 10 to 20%. There's actually a specific little tip or framework that you saw me do at Webinar Ninja Live, which is if you have, you know, there's lots of different structures to structure your talk. One that I like is intro story and then, or introduction, story one, story two, story three, and stories could be case studies or examples, and then a close. One that I like to customize your talk by 10 to 20% is that third story, the third example. That one, if you can make it industry specific. So if you remember at Webinar Ninja Live, I was talking about moving the crowd and sort of captivate, inspire, connect was the framework, and then walked through three examples. But at the end, I said, I know what you guys are thinking. This is great for sort of physical products or you're talking about crowdfunding, but what about us, Clay? We do webinars. And then my last, my third example was John and Kate, who also happened to be speaking that day, but it was relevant to the audience. So I was able to swap out the third of three examples and literally use not just the industry, but people that happen to be in the room. So I think that's a good, simple framework. It took me way too long to, to figure out how to do that, but I think that works to customize the 20%. It's kind of like you have a placeholder in your outline, and if you can find an industry-specific example and swap that in, then they feel like your content applies to their industry. And then not just like, oh, that was kind of cute. He threw in that story, but it feels like, whoa, it's like he wrote the whole talk. from. It's like, no, that's not true, right. but that's the way it feels to them because there's that thing that is very, very specific to their setting or their conference or their event or their context or whatever it may be. Uh, exactly. I, know, I know for a lot of speakers that are listening to this, I think one of the biggest challenges they have is two key things. One is how do I know what I want to talk about? We're going back to one of the things you talked about originally that just because you want to talk about it doesn't necessarily mean anybody cares or anybody's going to pay you for it. So if a lot of people that are listening to this say, I want to do this on a professional level. I want to make a living from this. I'm not just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. I want to eat and live indoors. So how do you kind of determine what to talk about in order to get paid? And how does that kind of match up with, like, I guess that intersection between this is what I could get paid to talk about but here's what I'm actually interested in talking about. So how do you kind of find that perfect balance? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I have hopefully what'll, what'll be a pretty simple tip or framework to execute that. So first, brainstorm a list of all the things that you really enjoy, really are interested in and put that down. And then go to a bunch of speakers bureaus websites. And we could talk about speakers bureaus and the worth of them and the use of them. But go to their websites, lots of them. If you just Google Speakers Bureaus, you'll have five pages on Google of Speakers Bureaus. Then go to, they always have some version of the word category or topics or find a speaker based on topic, that kind of thing, themes, sometimes it's called. And lay your sort of what you want to talk about against what they call themes. And the themes are typically, there's there's some big ones and then there's some sort of next level outline ones. There's some smaller ones, but the big ones, often sales, marketing, leadership, innovation, sometimes the future, although that takes, you almost have to have to have some sort of different credentials to talk about the future. So there's some big buckets of what people pay people for. And if you're, let's use a ridiculous example, if your sheet says underwater basket weaving is what I'm super, super excited about and super passionate about, and then you look and say, well, nobody really pays speakers for underwater basket weaving, there's not really an alignment there and there's no way to make IBM or the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association pay for a talk on that. The key thing there is then you raise it up and say, okay, it's not really about underwater basket weaving. It's about 
creativity or it's about finding your passion or it's about trying something new or it's about making mistakes. And those are topics that people do pay for. So you need to abstract your thing, raise it up a little bit and sort of say, what's the lesson? People like the topic of leadership, there's a million different types of talks that all fall under leadership. So start with what you're passionate about, figure out if there's a theme bridge to what people pay for. And then the other thing I'd say is the other category of people that get paid that have nothing to do with the talks that their talk topic might not map to the speakers bureau as at all is famous people and celebrities and things like that. But fame is kind of a different thing, right? There's different pockets and different bubbles of fame, right? If you walk down the street, most people don't know who Seth Godin is, but in our particular world, he's extremely famous, right? But if I walk outside or walk down the street in Manhattan, Nobody knows who he is. Uh, you know, I would have to ask a thousand people before getting someone who knows who he is. So fame is relative. And the other way to the other lever you can pull to do this is to get more famous. When I talked to Seth one time about doing more speaking gigs and getting more speaking gigs a few years ago, he said, Clay, it's not a mechanics issue. You just have to get more famous so that people call you so that people seek you out. And that's how you get listed with bureaus and things like that. So as you know, people build their personal brand and get out there and do books and do podcast interviews and, and have a blog and have an email list, those are all bricks in the wall of getting more famous. And I would say at you know, it's a parallel path. They're not mutually exclusive. I would work on both of those for an aspiring speaker. Just remember Seth's two words, <laughs> get famous. And fame is different at every level. Yeah, and I like one of the things that you talked about there that you could be famous in a small niche. So there's someone in the decorative hardware plumbing world that like everybody looks to like they're right. we wouldn't have any idea who they are but in that space they're a really go-to person and so i think the same thing can be true with speakers that you can become known in a you know in a small niche for a certain subject and topic and other ways you can make a great living kind of just being a i guess in some ways a no name but kind of gun for hire you know that sounds mm-hmm. like that's why that conference we keep coming back to, the Decorative Hardware and Plumbing Conference, brought you in, not because you're a big name in that space, but because you're a speaker who talks about X topic, you do a good job, you could deliver a good product, and so that's what they're looking for. So I guess the other question would then be, okay, I have an idea of what I want to talk about, and I have an idea that these people can pay for it. How do you start to kind of narrow down like who you speak to? Because the idea of speaking to... Yeah, I could talk to dentists. I could talk to hardware and plumber store owners. I could talk to people that run webinars. I could talk to entrepreneurs. I could talk to a bunch of different people. And it's difficult to market to all of those people. So how do you start to kind of narrow down like, yeah, I talked to a couple different, but this is primarily who I really focus on. So how do you kind of determine that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for a lot of people, it's are the people that I'm speaking to, even if you might not want to hang out and have cocktails for three days and attend the rest of the sessions at the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association's conference, those people might become readers of your book, purchases of your consulting, if that's what you do. And so if you're in the spot of picking and choosing and you know your calendar's filling up and you're choosing who to speak to, I think then it becomes, well, because the other way, you know, an- another whole topic we could get into is how to get paid for non-paid speaking gigs, right? Because you can have these other products. For instance, like when you and I spoke at Webinar Ninja Live, that created a coaching client for me and that paid money even though it was a not paid gig. So whether it's products, courses, consulting, coaching, all sorts of different things that you can have. And that's a good way to sort of monetize your at-bats. But I think to answer your question, 
it's worth deciding. Like, for instance, I'll take like Scott Stratton, right? He does a lot of speaking to, say, associations and things like that. Well, if they enjoy Scott's talk, then they're going to enjoy Scott's books. And he's got three or four books now for them to continue to purchase and go down the hole. If they like unselling talk, they'll probably like the unselling book and reading all Scott's stories. So I think if you're choosing between, okay, we have people to pay, but where do I really go? The litmus test is, are these the people I want to lead? Really, are those going to become customers for the rest of your business? Do you know that going into it, like when you start speaking, or is that more just kind of like you kind of figure it out? Okay, I got booked to speak at the decorative people conference, whatever, and I go to it, and it's either like, oh, this is it, like these people, this is my jam, or it's kind of like, eh, it's all right, you know, or like how do you kind of determine that? I mean, I had a pretty good idea that the folks at the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware, I asked questions. Actually, it was, I didn't have a good idea. I emailed the event organizer and the person who was hiring us and said, okay, who's going to be there? What's a typical attendee look like? What are their worldviews? What do they believe? And things like that. I think that's important for all paid gigs. And a lot of them, it's, I know you've spoken a lot at universities and things like that. So you kind of have an idea if it's a graduating class or if it's a new freshman class or something like that, like, it's pretty easy for you to know the general worldview of because you know the age and the general demographics and the fact that they're attending a certain college. If it's a bigger corporation or association where it could be much more diverse demographics, I think it's important to ask, do a pre-survey and say, what is the age range? What do they want to know? What are their worldviews and things like that? And that helps you, like you said, customize your 10% to be more relevant to the audience. But with the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, I had an idea of what those people were going to be like. And then I asked the question and the guy came back and he said, yeah, you know, they, he said they sell $30,000 shower heads. <laughs> I think it was one of those kind of terse answers to one of my questions. I was like, okay, I can kind of imagine the person who sells a $30,000 shower head. Yeah. That, I, apparently that's a thing. I don't, yeah, I yeah, don't I didn't know I'll, it was a thing either. I don't know that I'll ever own a $30,000 shower head. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap up with this. One of the new things we want to do here with the show is every speaker has great stories, good, bad, ugly about times where things have gone phenomenal. It's like, yes, that was awesome. Just floating on cloud nine and other things where you're just like, I can't believe that happened, but it makes a heck of a story. So I'm on the fly here. I'm going to dub this segment. It can't be worse than this. So (laughs) Clay, give us your story of one time where it can't be worse than this. Well, one of the worst times happens to be the example that I mentioned earlier, the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, because it was my theme of this whole. Conversation. It is. It is. That was my first paid gig, so it was a good time to learn a lesson of like, don't do this again. I did the research of the companies that were attending and the vendors, because not that many people sell, you know, ten to thirty thousand dollars shower heads and things like that. So there wasn't that many companies. So I did the research and things like that. What I didn't do is the research on the pronunciation. (laughs) Like, you know, even right before this, you know, you pronounced my name perfectly, but you asked, you said, hey, I want to make sure I pronounce your name correctly. I did not do that. And I completely butchered the name of the vendor completely, but isn't to the point it almost barely sounded. It was a German manufacturer like that. The correct pronunciation is Hans Grohe. And I butchered it, not one, but it was throughout my talk about 10 times. And after about the third time completely butchering their name, where they're one of the biggest vendors at this event, five of their people stood up from the talk and walked out and literally in the middle of my talk, you know, somewhere in the front row. So it was almost like they coordinated it and it was like a walkout. So simple tip, easy to remedy or mitigate is if you're going to mention anyone in your talk, make sure whether it's a vendor or a human or anything, make sure to get the pronunciation right. That was 
really embarrassing. And of course, having five people stand up in the middle of your talk and walk out was a bit disconcerting and got me a little off track and flushed and nervous. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, just simple. Just make sure if you're uh, pronouncing anything that you know how to pronounce it. Nice. Hey, to wrap up here, where can we find out more about you? If people want to check out what you're up to, some of the speaking stuff that you do, where can we find you? Yeah, go to clayabear.com and for my personal stuff. And then for if anyone's interested in crowdfunding, I do crowdfundinghacks.com as well. And we can definitely put together a bonus resources for your folks and throw that in the show notes link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, we were talking a little bit about ahead of time. Let's talk a little bit about that. So you've got a great tool helping people with introductions. Because I think, again, we kind of touched on this a little bit in the past few minutes of people are going like, what do I talk about and who do I talk to? And so you've, you've done a great job of like really, really simplifying this. So kind of talk us through what you're going to throw in. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go really quick because I know we're kind of up on time. But what I've found is I was at an event attending, not speaking got a chance to meet this guy named Matt, introduced ourselves. I was pretty unhappy with the way that I introduced myself after he said, my name is Matt. I said, oh, what do you do, Matt? And he said, I run a little software company. I said, no, what software company? I'm kind of into that. He said, well, it's called Automatic, which I knew made WordPress, which powers 30% of the internet. (laughs) And so here I am stumbling my introduction to Matt Mullenweg at this conference. And so after that, I walked away and vowed and said, I'm never going to poorly introduce myself again. So I came up with this sort of how to introduce yourself in in six words or less framework. And so the really short version is, and I, I'll give you guys a link if you want to go go more, but I think it's good for speaking as well. So to know who you speak to, who you help. So the simple framework is I help or some version of the word help and then whoever it is you help and then what result you help them achieve. And so when I'm talking about crowdfunding, if I'm at a room full of entrepreneurs, I'll say, someone says, what do you do? I say, well, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams because that's I help. And then who I help is entrepreneurs and then fund their dreams is I don't mention crowdfunding. I don't mention Kickstarter. I don't mention my history at Accenture. It's a more interesting, compelling way to do it. And part of it is not just the words, it's the confidence with which you deliver it. So we could talk a lot more on that, but I'll throw up, if you go to howtointro.com, put up a free resource or a PDF or a class or something on that. Howtointro.com. Sweet. I still like that because I know as a speaker, whenever I meet someone, so tell me what you do. It's like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a speaker. And the immediate questions are, really? That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Who do you speak to? What do you talk about? And so if I can have one simple sentence to boil it down to, this is what I do. This is who I talk to. This is what I talk about. That'd be really, really good. So I like that. And again, I think that gives people like it really forces you to think about. Because once you kind of narrow that down of who you want to speak to, what you want to talk about, then it really makes the marketing of what you do much, much simpler and much, much cleaner. So I really like that. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. So Clay A. Bear, and again, A. Bear is, is perfect. Yeah, that's not, I nailed it, but that's not <laughs> how it, it looks at all. So no. how do we actually spell it for people that want to go to uh, clayabear.com? Sure. It's Clay H E. B as in boy, E-R-T, H-E-B-E-R-T. Nobody listening thought that at all. <laughs> There's know. no H in that. It's a exactly. bear. All right, cool, buddy. Enjoy the chat, man. Thanks. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat, chatty chat-chat with Clay, a bear. Good speaker, all-around good dude. So you definitely stop by, check out his site, check out what he's up to. I like Clay. Clay's just a good guy, good stories, and uh, just an all-around nice dude. You know, here's one of the things that I've noticed about speakers is speaking, you know, on the outside, it can feel like this very competitive thing. And yeah, there's some competition to it on who's getting bookings and who's not. But at the same time, I found a lot of speakers to be extremely helpful, extremely generous, 
very giving with their time and their efforts and energy. So Clay is definitely one of those guys. I'm a big fan of his. So, hey, also a couple quick things I'll remind you of is one that we are still doing this podcast contest that I mentioned to you. You can check out at podcastcontest.com, podcastcontest.com. That's a couple words to say there, podcastcontest.com. Stop by, check that out. Again, the main things we're asking you to do with the new show is to subscribe to the show, leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We would much, much, much appreciate that. All right, my friends. Hey, as always, uh, stop by to check out the show notes over at thespeakerlab.com, everything we're going to be discussing, talking about, all the links you can find over there, summary of the show as well. You can find, again, over at thespeakerlab.com. Bounce around the site. Explore the site. New site. It's fresh. We've got a fresh coat of paint on it. You know, it's more than a fresh coat of paint. It's, it's all fresh. It's a brand new site. Really looks good. Really happy about that. And uh, excited about the different resources we've got over there that are available to you. Again, whether you're brand new, whether you've been doing this for a little while, we've got a lot of tools and stuff for you, resources to help you get going in your speaking business. So stop by the Speaker Lab and check it out. We'll catch you next time, my friends. You're awesome.